Well, hello there, weary traveler. Welcome to the inn. Sit, sit, rest your feet. Why, it's a long journey on the road to Tarvalon. Have a cup of tea. Or maybe a frothy ale. The light. Why, you're just in time for the entertainment. Here are your hosts, Tracy and Amber. Hello and welcome back. I'm here with my friend Tracy. I'm here with my friend Amber. And this is the Road to Tarvalon, a Wheel of Time podcast. In other news... Yeah, I'm like, (laughs) now how do I start this out? In other news... In other news, we have a merch shop, merchandise. I always feel really weird saying merch, but at the same time, it feels... I like it. Short and a little... A merch funky. Shop. We have a merch shop. It's. I think it's hard for me to say because it like comes together. Shusha. The merch shop. Regardless, we have one. There are a, a pretty wide range of assorted T-shirts and coffee mugs and bags and buttons and yep. stickers. So. If that is something you are interested in, it is on Threadless, and we've got links on Twitter and Instagram. Nice. And if you can't find them, just message us anywhere, and we'll route you to it. Yeah, and I'll make sure to put a show note link, a link in the show notes for our shop as well, so that people can access it right from there. I do just want to say, I think the designs you made are so cool. And there's so much fun stuff there. Seriously, I cannot decide what I like the best of what you've made. And I'm really glad that I've got some wiggle room that I can actually purchase some of the coffee mugs. I, I might have to get the wisdom phone case. I was going to say I'm torn. I really like the wisdom bag, but Mm -hmm. then again, yeah, I think I, I would, I would take one of everything. Sadly, they don't have my they don't have a Google Pixel phone case, oh, but they've dumb. got Samsung, Samsung and iPhones. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Oh well. So if you love Wheel of Time and we're suspecting you do, and you're <laughs> interested in some really fun merchandise, we've got some stuff designed, and it's on Threadless. And yeah, go check it out. Go check it out. And now with our regularly scheduled program. (laughs) Today, friends, we are starting at the beginning all over again. We are reading and reacting to Robert Jordan's first book in the Wheel of Time series, The Eye of the World. We have each read the complete series. It took me technically longer than Amber. (laughs) (laughs) We are ready, ready, ready to give into the urge that takes hold of so many of us to dive back in again. And this will be more or less a reread for me. I have gone through certain chapters and certain books and gone through some of the chapters (laughs) multiple times, especially with (laughs) note taking. Mm -hmm. But this is mostly a reread. It's my second time. And then Tracy has done this multiple times. So... Yeah, It's a little embarrassing how much I forget considering how many times I've read certain books, and that's okay. Um, As a rule, Amber and I do our best to try to find a way to come at something a little differently than others have done, 
before us. And I mean, of course, we like to borrow ideas that we think are really good, too. But we want to stay like true to our style and our pacing. So for our recaps, we are going to cover four chapters each week. And we'll each be taking two chapters apiece. And then I wrote in parentheses here, subject to change. I mean, I some chapters fair. are yeah, some chapters are really, really long. And then there are some chapters that can kind of be summarized quicker. So yeah, I agree. We're, we're starting with four now and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. 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 And the format will be like how we tackled the new spring um recap. So we'll mm-hmm. do spoiler-free for the first half and then kind of save our thoughts and musings for the second half. So we we kind of talked about and decided to do five of our favorite plot points or moments in each chapter, right? Yeah, I just went with five plot points pretty much. I didn't just do my favorites because I thought, well, okay, if that's the case, then I might just spend everything on one <laughs> particular, <laughs> you know, little part. So I, I tried to be diplomatic. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Oh, and Tracy is starting out with the Ravens chapter, which I not everyone has read. I didn't even know it existed until Rick Hapis and I mentioned it in one of her videos. And I mean, I don't know if... If we already said this on here or not, but it almost felt like this bizarre gift to get to read Ravens after getting all the way through the series and thinking I would never read anything new Robert Jordan again. I mean, maybe I would, but maybe not attached to the series. Regardless, it was thrilling and I was excited about it. <laughs> and I do actually kind of wish that Ravens was the first chapter in every book. Like the way... The way that the 30th... I would have preferred that over <laughs> prologue. <laughs> I mean, seriously, we've talked about how, like, the prologue is kind of off-putting. You mm-hmm. don't really know what's going on. You're set down in the middle of this, like, bizarro moment. We'll get in my into notes, it. I wrote, it feels like a bad acid trip. But, yeah. <laughs> yes. So, Ravens went into the opening of a young adult reader version I guess of Eye of the World I didn't really look it up I just know that it's not in like the first edition printing but it is in the 30th edition and it it goes Raven's prologue and then it starts chapter one chapter two and so on and one of the very best things about this for me is that it's in a teeny tiny Egwene point of view for people who have read the series and knows Egwene, seeing her as a nine-year-old is kind of adorable. It's sheep shearing time, which is practically a celebration, even though it's work for everybody. But they have like tables of food set up and the women are shooing away children who are trying to steal honey cakes and whatever. And it's just, it feels kind of festive, even though everyone has their role. And Egwene's walking around carrying buckets of water to people who are working so that they can quench their thirst, which I'm not going to get into water safety. This isn't the <laughs> real world. Uh, but that concerned me. I was like, you should be offering them beer. What are you doing? They're all going to get sick. <laughs> and then everyone in Emmonsfield <laughs> dies of cholera. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or whatever weird waterborne illnesses 
float through their river. But yeah. So Egwene comes across several characters that are going to show up throughout the series. And I loved the introduction of this because it's something that you don't get through the original. So Egwene sees the current wisdom, who is apparently a very old woman, and she's overseeing her apprentice, Nynaeve, who is only 17 years old. And there's a lot of hubbub around Nynaeve being so young. I think probably because the current wisdom is so damn old. (laughs) (laughs) And I did put together like just a little tiny mini 101 in the section for chapter one that talks about the wisdom the village council and the women's circle that show up throughout, especially like the first section. So you can kind of understand why it would make a, why it would be kind of a big deal for the wisdom to be really young. But Egwene is, she's looking for someone in particular as she's wandering around and helping to like water down everybody who's working really hard. Sorry. I just had, like, this weird image of her, like, holding a hose instead and, like, all of the the men in their two rivers woolens. (laughs) I'm getting, like, really, like, sexualized car wash style. Men of of the two rivers calendar. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Master Luhan is December. Luhan is the one that I was just going to say, like... Okay, sorry. I'm just kind of thankful that our our minds went in semi-similar places. That was fun. So one of the things that I like about Egwene's point of view is she's like, I'm doing this thing, but not really like everyone else is doing this thing. Like, it's it's just very cute. But she's starting to look out for Rand because everybody says that she's going to marry him someday. And she's curious about who he is. Because, I mean, Rand and his father live off in the Westwood, and so they don't come in for village events as often as people who, you know, live in the village would. And so she's she's just curious about them. And he is, of course, hanging out with Matt and Perrin, and they are, like, 12 years old. And this is just really funny and kind of sweet because, you know, they're just young again. They're little. Yeah, yeah, like... And they're like swaggering and being little boys and like punching each other on the arm and, you know, just things like that. But the mayor calls for the boys and doesn't like the messenger that tells them that they're to come see the mayor doesn't tell them why. And Matt's like, dang it, I wasn't actually like getting into trouble yet i was just thinking about it how does he know and instead it becomes everyone just knows matt is up to something always he's just mr mischievous and i think that's one of the things that i love so much about him so anyway the boys all come over and they're expecting to be in trouble and instead the mayor is like i forgot i owed you boys a story and tam's like i'll tell you a story and so tam offers to tell the story about the real dragon not a false one and there's a definite air of uneasiness among the people that have heard him make this statement in fact it borders on outrage by a few people around them because this is just not a story that is very popular. The dragon is thought of as like 
the destroyer of the world. So Gwen's like, why in the world would would we want to hear this story? But then Tam begins to tell his story of the Age of Legends and Luce Theron Telamon. And one of the things that he said in the book is hope faded away like mist in the sun, but the light had a leader who would never give up give up a man called Luz Theron Telamon, the dragon. And this causes Egwene confusion because to her, the dragon destroyed everything. How could he possibly have fought for the light when he destroyed everything? And he's known famously as Kinslayer because he killed his entire family. So like, this just doesn't compute for her. <laughs> Spoiler alert, <laughs> he killed his family. It's true. <laughs> it's coming up in the next chapter. Yep. <laughs> it's you know when it's like an age of legends, I feel like it's history almost. Yeah. So I don't yeah. No, I was just being I was like joking. <laughs> right. No, I loved it. You were absolutely right. Because I mean someone new might be, Whoa, you just said that he killed his whole family. We haven't even met him yet. Just That's wait. what Robert Jordan did to us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't know either. So Aguin's musing at the end of the chapter as they all they're all growing up was and if they learned that some of those stories really had been more than stories well the war of the shadow the breaking of the world loose there in telamon how could it matter now and what had really happened back then anyway and as much as i like a nice tidy way of presenting the next thing this just felt almost <laughs> a little too gift wrapped yeah yeah <laughs> so, I wonder what happened back then. And then it's Mirage like like right. shimmers through as we go back in time for this, <laughs> the prologue. And one of the things that I didn't mention, but I feel is important to mention because, I mean, the chapter is entitled Ravens, is if you are a new reader, pay attention to the ravens. There's a, there's a reason why they're there, and it seems like it's not necessarily force-fed in the chapter, but you should definitely be aware of that. Agreed. I think that's about all I've got for that chapter. Maybe Do you they... have any questions? Because I know you didn't read it. Are there actual ravens in this chapter? Yes, lots of them. Oh, okay. So there was a reason that it was called that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, thank you. Oh, my God. Like, here, how about I just gloss over that part? Um, Aguin notices, like, at first it's one raven, and... That raven gets, like, close to attacked by a, another bird, and the raven just kind of steps aside and is like, please, you've got nothing on me. And Aguin's like, well, that's weird. Okay, but so then, okay, so when we get to chapter two, mm -hmm. then we can talk about, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So, like, like, because it, like, the number increases as she, like, catches glimpses throughout the day. There's more and more ravens that are watching, and she realizes that the ravens mm -hmm. are only watching the men and boys, and she finds that really weird, which I would, too. But, of course, she's a nine-year-old kid, so she's like, it must just be my imagination. <laughs> As Trust young your kids gut. tend to do, yes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, and then we are going in reading order. So mm -hmm. the next chapter is the prologue of Eye of the World. Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel like everyone knows the prologue. This is, it, it is what I it is. I feel ya, I feel so, ya, yeah. So here's the setting. Uh, Luz Theron is wandering around his destroyed palace and he doesn't seem to notice all of these dead bodies everywhere. Everywhere. And this... <laughs> Very wonderful 
man named Elon Morin Tadroni, aka <laughs> me and Tenderoni. Tracy like to call him Tenderoni. Do you know or what song was, I yell? <laughs> do you know what song was just on my headphones? Tenderoni. Tenderoni. <laughs> <laughs> what timing? Sorry, go ahead. So this is Ishamayel, one of the Forsaken. Spoiler alert. He shows up and he kind of like shimmers into view. Yeah. And he's really annoyed with Luz Theron because Luz Theron is not even computing what is going on. And this is Mm -hmm. really upsetting Ishamayel. And... He calls him a light-blinded fool, which I think is hilarious. The This prompts Ishamayel to heal Luz Theron of his madness. So um, Luz Theron eventually kind of like snaps too, and he notices the famous Ileana, who is laying there dead. And he becomes completely inconsolable. He's mm-hmm. crying and just overcome with emotion. Then Ishamayel gives him an ultimatum, and he says if he pledges to serve the Dark One now, he will revive Ileana, and Luz Theron isn't really having it, and he says, I'll kill you, and that's that. So Ishamayel Ishamayel has a a good laugh about it, Um, and Ishamayel says, you know, I didn't kill Ileana, you did. And which is weird because, you know, we we are hearing him being called Kinslayer and we are getting all of these terms thrown out as, you know, this guy is the dragon and Lord of the morning morning and Mm -hmm. Kinslayer. So we're getting a lot of uh, words to describe these people. And it's not I mean, it's not really clear kind of i mean how how many of us really know what a kinslayer is right yeah <laughs> okay? i mean it kind of it... i was familiar with it because of a song of ice and fire like jamie lannister right which right. is another really weird um thing that i noticed about like comparing these two series is mm-hmm. kinslayer and Another thing is George R. R. Martin had a sword of the morning, not Lord of the morning. So there's a lot of similarities. But anyways, um, George George sat down with Wheel of Time on one side and his notes on the other, and was like, "Okay, I can take that and do this instead." Okay, 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 got that. Yeah, okay. I like to think it was kind of like an homage, sort of like how I feel like Robert Jordan kind of took us through like this Tolkien-esque feel but Mm -hmm. yeah so much stuff in fantasy gets reworked and mixed up and yeah that it does I don't mind it all the time Mm -mm. (laughs) sometimes it can be sometimes it can be a little bit um I don't know you don't want anything to feel predictable I guess that's true that's true so pros and cons so Ishamayel explains that the Dark One retaliated after Luz Theron tried to attack and drove Luz Theron and his 100 companions mad. So now we have this explanation as to why Luz Theron Telemond is acting a little bit out of sorts. It's mm-hmm. a nice way to put it. Um, yeah. And this seems to be more than Luz Theron can take. So he 
makes this anguished getaway and then goes nuclear. And that's essentially the breaking of the world. Yeah. And was there anything that you wanted to... Oh, actually, what I wanted to say, another reason why Ravens is so nice is the story that Tam tells in Ravens talks about Luce Theron and the Hundred Companions and the War of the Shadow. And so it's... That's really you have, nice. That would be really helpful for new yeah, readers. You have like you have real context. Like when Egwene has her moment of like what happened way back then, to and when, then have the yeah. next chapter be this is what happened. Then you have like a setting and an idea, and it answers some of the questions that were just kind of posed in the chapter before it. I I think the prologue is rough for a lot of people, and I think that. I think adding Ravens was a really good idea. I agree. And especially, I would feel like as a younger reader, mm-hmm. maybe it would kind of help too. And I wasn't even I wasn't even young when I read <laughs> the prologue for the first time. And I was just like, what the hell? Yeah. And I'm looking at this giant book and I'm thinking, is this whole book going to be like this? Right. And I... I put it down <laughs> and left it there for, you know, a month maybe before I picked it back up. But I get it. Yeah. But I get this it. Is, but this is also partially because I never read a review. I had no idea what the series was about. I just knew that it was recommended because it was long. Mm-hmm. And I had waited until I had read about it and then – I saw comments like, well, it's not finished yet. So, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, well, I don't want to deal with that. And then I don't once, want another Game of Thrones. Yeah. And then I, <laughs> then once I saw like, oh, they are finished, I'm like, okay, well, that's cool because if I like it, then I can read it till the end. And yeah, totally worth it. Definitely yeah. worth it. <laughs> yeah. But I do, I do think you're right that like it has a bit of a slow buildup. And I mean, I don't know, especially if you read books that were written 45, 50 some odd years ago, that slow buildup is common, really. So, I mean, he's kind of following the style, but it's also just kind of boring. Well, I don't. Okay, here's the thing. I don't think the prologue is essentially boring. I think it's confusing the names are mm-hmm. weird the <laughs> the terms that were given on what these people are like I don't know what some of these words mean why is yeah. he a light blinded fool what does that mean okay why is like, traveling spelled with a t right cap- <laughs> yeah <laughs> how do magnets work <laughs> how, how about a capital t sorry about that wow <laughs> It's it's just a lot kind of it's kind of an info dump and you aren't completely sure what it has to do with the story when you get to chapter one. So you're like, okay, yeah, Um, I think that's the part that I'm talking about being boring is because you've given this you've been given this moment that actually has these relatively impactful big moments like this man killed his whole family. Everything around him is destroyed. Right. And then I'm thinking, seeing it. Yeah. All of this is happening. And my immediate takeaway is 
okay, so what? Yeah. Like, what does it matter? Like, then, now we're transported to a different place. And right. I know, like, eventually we'll get to it. But at the time, I'm just like, okay, whatever. Like, let's get, let's, let's continue on forward. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's do that now because the next place we get taken to is chapter one, an empty road. But just real quick, and I think we kind of hit this already. So, Ravens. The first one is in the third age. And then the prologue takes place in the age of legends. And now we're back in the third age again, only about seven or eight years past the time of Ravens. Robert Jordan really should have included a timeline in the books. I agree, because that's another thing that I have frequently found. Can you imagine being like the, the beginning early days of the internet and you're like <laughs> trying to figure out? Like... <laughs> mm-hmm. You're asking Jeeves. What was, was that? Uh, that old um, browser. That's Ask a good Jeeves. one. <laughs> Why did that take off? I loved it. I thought it was so clever. So this is this is. I did not want to read like the whole beginning thing because I'm pretty sure everybody has read it at one point or another in whatever they've made. So if you want like the chills of the opening, either read it yourself or find someone else who's done a recap. (laughs) Have someone read it to you. Yeah, I'm I'm not doing it. The only thing I'm going to say is this is where we find out that there are neither beginnings nor endings, but this is a beginning, italic A. And we have... Tam Thor and his son Randall Thor, and they are heading into uh, Emmonsfield. We're located in the Two Rivers. We're back there from Ravens, or there for the first time if you have not read Ravens. And they're walking from their farm to the village because it is time to party. It's Beltine, and the arrival of spring should have happened. But at this point, it hasn't. And it's concerning. People are worried. Some observations from this moment is Rand observing on what he looks like compared to his father and is like, we really don't look anything alike, but I have an outlander mother, so that must explain it. But Rand also recognizes the fact that he doesn't look much like anyone in the village. So he just assumes it's because his mom wasn't from around there and that's why he's taller and a little bit paler and has reddish hair and light colored eyes so Rand looks different and while they're they're walking Rand feels compelled to look over his shoulder as one would on an empty road with the wind blowing and the leaves flying all over the place and brown and dead and ugh. so of course you're gonna look behind your shoulder, right? Dun dun and dun 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 dun. Here we get our first injection of something fun in my book. I mean, it's probably in your book too, considering <laughs> we're reading in the same book. Come to think of it, <laughs> um, but he sees behind him a figure in all black, on a horse, also black, hood up and over the face completely. And even though Rand cannot see this person's face, he feels this intense amount of fear. And he can't quite figure it out. And so he keeps staring at this figure and it has turned so he's kind of walking backwards. But then as he does, of course, he kind of stumbles and breaks eye contact with this figure. And when he looks up, the figure's gone. No sound. No movement. 
that Rand is aware of just gone. And so, of course, he pauses because what the fuck? And Tam's like, what's going on, kiddo? And Rand is like, uh, I'm pretty sure I just saw someone and now they're not there. And Tam is like, we can go check. And Rand's like, no, I have a feeling that that guy won't be there anyway. And this is a moment where Tam reminds Rand to use the flame in the void, which then, like, it gets explained in this chapter that it's a technique that Tam has taught Rand to kind of help him control his emotions, which shows to Rand that Tam has seen how unsettled he is by this experience. So as Tam and Rand are walking into the village, they like run into various people who are talking about how it should be spring and it isn't. And they're like, you know what? We'll survive. This is what we do. As the two rivers, we are stubborn people. It's what we're known for. Destruction be damned. We'll pull through this. And I I love that kind of mentality and that they just kind of like, they just seem so hearty, Mm -hmm. you know? And then this is where I said it's like a little mini 101, the wisdom, the women's circle, and the village council. Because, like, they don't get explained very well. Like, there's almost this impression that you should just kind of know what they are by the sound of them. But there's this, like that's women's circle business or you leave that up to the village council or go ask the wisdom, you know, like there are these Robert Jordan has gendered so much within the series. Yeah. Even to the lines of I said, I have cats and dogs don't like, what was it? Dogs don't like the I said, I, they are mm-hmm. only hanging around like the Ashaman or something. Yes. <laughs> like yes. even the pets are gendered. It's yep. crazy. It really but, is. Yeah. But I think, I, I mean, I'm sure he was just going with, you know, like a theme of balance and opposites and stuff like that and wasn't really, you know. No, I agree with you because that's how I felt when I first read the series was, oh, how cool. Like the women have representation in their government. That's great. But it's, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel balanced. So let's let's do a quick mini 101. Do you want to talk about the wisdom? Uh, the wisdom is a healer. Boom. <laughs> um, do you mind if I expand that just a Go tiny bit? It. OK, Go cool. For it. Um, anyway, the reason why I do want to expand this just a tiny bit is that she's responsible for the overall health of the village and then includes the land of the village. So she's supposed to be able to listen to the winds. She has a position of authority and is generally thought to be the equal of the mayor of the village and is chosen by the women's circle, which she is generally acknowledged to be the head of. And this is why, like, when you meet Nynaeve and, like, Senbui is, like, bitching about how young Nynaeve is, it's because she's 24 and can basically put grown men in their places because she's the fucking wisdom. So I thought that was kind of, like, I hadn't really put together, like, the same level of authority as the mayor when I first read it. Like, I just thought healer and advice giver every once in a while but people aren't really listening to her and really that's just more to do with her age than the position itself she will come at you with a thumping stick be prepared (laughs) if she's yanking her braid 
she is not happy. And then there's also the women's circle and the village council. Those are both just kind of like committees, only they're gendered. They they are. (laughs) And the thing that I found really interesting when I kind of like dug into this last night is the Wheel of Time companion. The women's circle is a group of women elected by women for women's business. And when you read it, it basically sounds like women's business is anything the women decide is women's business. (laughs) They're like, no, 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 nope, that's ours. Uh, The examples given in the book that I thought were interesting was planting and harvesting. And that kind of... Well, that would kind of make sense because if you're living in this kind of... uh, maybe I want to say outdated um, gender role type of scenario. Women do the cooking. So they would need to know how much they need to can and plan and prepare to feed the families, right? That's a really good point. I think you're right. But the thing that kind of tickled me was in the companion, it claimed that there are clearly delineated lines and areas of responsibility between the women's circle and the village council. But I don't think so. Because then for the village council, the Wheel of Time companion says it's a group of men elected by men, but they oversee the entire village. So any kind of negotiations that they have to do with other villages, the village council is responsible for that. So it is kind of cool that there is a body of authority that just represents the needs of women. So the wisdom is kind of like the farmer's almanac and healer (laughs) combined, (laughs) right? Yes. Okay. (laughs) I feel like that should be like a book cover. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But also, like, it's almost as if to... contradict what is said about the women's circle they were the so for the village council i'm sorry they were at odds with the women's circle in so many villages that the conflict was seen as almost traditional so i don't see how clearly delineated lines lines up with traditional animosity towards each other and not even animosity but like just rivalry i think would be a mm-hmm. better word like who has the more most authority but you hear it all the time like it's a, like, like a healthy competition Ooh, okay maybe maybe like they're not you know they're not beating the crap out of each other like this is ours no this is ours but they'll give each other heck you know yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i like that a lot i like that a lot so that's just like a quick breakdown of basically like the governing system of the two rivers, they don't have lords, they don't have nobility, they really don't think of themselves as part of the kingdom of Andor, even though they are. So this is this is the atmosphere. Think medieval village, shire minus dwarves. My dwarves? Hobbits. 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 <laughs> Damn it. I'm so bad at Tolkien. Tolkien, hmm. however you say this. This anyway. So Brandon Matt. Rand and Tam, they get into the two rivers, or I'm sorry, into Emmonsfield. They get in front of the inn, and Rand and Tam are 
immediately jumped on by Sen Bui and Bran Alvier. Bran is the mayor. Sen is a dick, but he's also on the village council. And he is bitching up a storm about how horrible Nynaeve is. And Bran's trying to temper this happening. And Bran's zoning out because he doesn't give a fuck. But in this moment of zone out, there's a tug on his sleeve. And of course he turns around and who's there but one of my favorite characters, Matram Cawthon. And I liked this moment, I have to admit, because the the series gets dark, you know? And I mean, I don't think that that's a spoiler of any kind. At least I hope it's not. Like, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't I think mean, so. I how, mean, how, how this whole... S- Series starts out with the prologue of Luz Theron killing everyone okay. in his castle. So good point. <laughs> I mean, it can't get it's too much already darker. Already a little yeah. dark. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe not even a little. Good point. Hmm. But in this moment in the book, Rand glanced down and had to grin. Matt Cawthon crouched beside the cart so Tam and Bran and Sen could not see him. His wiry body contorted like a stork trying to bend itself double. And what really got me on that is the grin. Like, they're two boys, you know? And Matt, of course, is there because he's like, I caught a badger. (laughs) As one does. As one does on a feast day. Uh, So how about we bounce out of here before your dad realizes that I'm here and makes us do work because I hate work. And of course, this doesn't I mean, one of the other things to come out of this exchange is that they have both seen this black rider and they both were scared shitless. So Matt and Rand are still roped into emptying out the wagon and in the process they find out that there's going to be a glee man a storyteller slash performer um for the professor where is my brain today (laughs) (laughs) i'm so sorry Uh, it makes it more interesting (laughs) good because i feel like i'm just babbling so they are super stoked about this Glee man being there because this is not an everyday occasion to have a performer there. I like I think Rand mentions they the rarely last, ever, yeah. Yeah, I think the last one had come when Rand was small enough to go up on Tam's shoulder. So it's been a minute. <laughs> Probably a good decade. Can you see Tam? Like Rand is taller than Tam trying to as they as old as they are now. That's hilarious. Come here, my boy. <laughs> Climb on up so you can see. But of course he'd be able to see he's the tallest person in the village. Okay, I'm sorry. This is this is apparently me this morning. All right, so Matt and Rand, excited about the Gleeman, chapter two. Okay, so we are going to the chapter titled Strangers. Rand and Matt are carrying the barrels of brandy, and Rand notices that the village council members are being very quiet about something, and they're just kind of hanging out, smoking their pipes, and there's the there's a sentence that 
He even notices someone tapping the pipe to their teeth in thought. And Matt is trying to avoid Master Luhan because (laughs) Matt started a rumor that there was a ghost town, there were ghost towns, and then covered Master Luhan's dog in flour and let it loose. So, of course, he did. Yeah. So, Master Luhan is kind of giving Matt the eye so Matt's like hey let's get out of here and then we are approached by Ewen and this is one of Rand's younger friends and he comes up to Rand and Matt and says hey there's some strangers in town and Rand is still really (laughs) nervous about this cloaked writer but Ewen is like no it's this guy and this woman and then he goes on to describe these two characters in great detail (laughs) and it is Lan and Moraine Mm -hmm. and he says that the woman Moraine has been asking lots of questions and we also learn that Nynaeve immediately dislikes Moraine because Moraine called her child (laughs) um Rand looks around and notices again that the village council are acting secretively, maybe Mm -hmm. a little bit suspicious, Mm -hmm. and he notices a crow staring at him. So this is is very interesting to kind of have these two chapters so close together with your Ravens chapter and then the strangers chapter. Mm -hmm. And be this crow is staring at him so matt and rand throw rocks at it which of course hilarious and the crow (laughs) kind of like hovers and just keeps staring at him and he's like well that's weird and then moraine shows up the crow freaks out and flies off yeah so matt doesn't it like sidestep does it fly or does it just move over um i can look it up it's because the, the only reason why I ask is I feel like, to me, the idea of a crow just, like, not even, like, flying away and just sidestepping those two rocks feels really unnatural. But I can't remember exactly how it's phrased in the book. Um. Oh, wait, I actually have it right here. That's so dumb. The two stones flew true and the raven stepped aside. It says, fluffing its wings once, it cocked its head again, fixing them with a dead black eye, unafraid, giving no sign that anything had happened. So this raven is bad fucking news, right? Agreed. Agreed. So Moraine shows up, the crow freaks out, flies off, and Rand and Matt are stunned at how beautiful and fancy and wealthy Moraine looks and they're kind of stumbling over their words trying to introduce themselves and Rand can't decide how old she is Mm -hmm. and she makes Rand feel very awkward about his height it's not Mm -hmm. like she said something to him but I think he's just looking at this dainty woman (laughs) and he's feeling self-conscious because she's almost perfection you know what I mean they've never seen someone like her before and I think he just feels kind of awkward and big in this moment I want Moraine's entire outfit and attitude you know what I I mean I already have I in my notes I have (laughs) words about (laughs) that but yeah so 
Moraine gives each of the boys a coin. So this is Owen, Matt, and Rand. And she says she wants to know all about them, but later. And she (laughs) might have some work for them to help her with. And so Rand wants to know, which is kind of... is kind of awkward and unprepared and not able to speak well in front of her. He kind of just comes at her with like, well, I want to know what you're doing. Which I thought was a little bit interesting. Yeah. Um, And she says... It's unexpected. And she says she's here to uh, learn learn about some stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she takes her leave and then Lan the man who is with her moves Mm -hmm. in and follows her. So first off, um, would we want to take our little break now or seems like a good spot? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I mean, the next thing is, I mean, that's 48 minutes. That's good timing. Really? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Break time. Okay. Uh, I hope I'm. I hope I'm not too loopy today. I feel like no. I feel the same way. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm like, why aren't my words and my brain lined up? <laughs> um. So you want to do spoilery, spoilers? Spoilery musings and observations. <laughs> <laughs> it was nonstop. It was nonstop. Like. When I was reading through Ravens, I wrote down, like, on my little cards that I always write in, I wrote down, Ravens, better known as foreshadowing out the ass. Like, I even <laughs> hand wrote it in all caps because it was just like, wow. But it was, I don't know, it was, <sighs> especially coming back to Aguin after just reading her death was momentary tear you know like traumatic (laughs) yes but also almost healing Mm -hmm. you know like the story Mm -hmm. doesn't end I can like still go back and and do her adventure again but with this one like she's this little tiny nine-year-old I mean Egwene is always mentioned as being petite so I can't imagine she wasn't petite as a child and she's carrying around a bucket of water that probably weighs half as much as she does but she's like i'm gonna be the best water carrier ever like this is what should be written on a monument to Egwene. is i can do it better and it's funny that i should say that because that's what like aiden has decided as my personal motto like everything i look at he's like mom you're always like i could do that better i'm like not with everything I wouldn't be able to tell someone how to farm something. We both know I'm a terrible gardener. But some things, yeah, I could do that better. Her bucking of tradition in this is so good because it starts out so young where she's asking the question, why should we do stuff just because we've always done it that way before? And that just carries through for her with everything she encounters throughout her entire sadly short life you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. she's always like the minute she gets out of the two rivers what does she do she takes her hair out of her braid you know 
She's been waiting for that since here, nine. She's talking about that she wants to be the youngest person in the village history to get her hair braided. You know, like she wanted it. And then she was like, oh, I guess I don't need to. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't have to follow this. I don't have to do this. Uh, the practicing of level looks starts here, I feel like. Because she's mm-hmm. like trying to make a little boy who's walking past her feel bad for the way that he's behaving. And she's like, maybe I'm not doing it right. I need to practice that. <laughs> Sound familiar? Mm-hmm. And then it's just Egwene the Child versus Egwene the Amaryllin Sea, the Flame of Tarvalon, that last moment with her where she is just light itself avenging everything that has gone wrong. It was just this really, it was an emotional moment for me. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. And then the other thing were, was just the appearance of the ravens. And we've kind of talked about that. And I said earlier the ravens are just looking at the men and the boys. So foreshadowing, they're looking for mm-hmm. the dragon reborn here in the two rivers, roughly eight years before they it's, actually find. Yeah. It's really interesting that that's added in there because you would think, okay, if they're already looking, I mean, I feel like they would be like, well, duh, it's him. You know, and like act sooner, right? I mean, Do you think so? Yeah, because as we know from New Spring, this has been going on for a while, mm-hmm. and they know a little bit of what Moraine knows. Mm-hmm. So they're looking, and I just feel like Rand sticks out like a sore thumb, and it's, like you said, mm. foreshadowing. It's the very first thing that we learn about him. He's like, well, I don't look like Madame much. <laughs> Maybe we both have broad shoulders, but that's it. Yeah. And then, I mean, in my mind, there was never any question that he's not the important one, that he's yeah. not you know, the main person that we need to be focused on. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, maybe they're maybe they're just keeping an, a watchful eye, these that, ravens. You know what? While you were saying it, that's what I kind of started thinking, too, because that's that's Moraine's journey, too, is like looking in the places and crossing certain things off, off until list, she gets. Yeah. yeah. Until she gets back to the two rivers and then she finds Rand there. But you're right. Because, I mean, it's even mentioned in in that chapter, Rand's taller than the other boys, and he doesn't look much like the other boys. So one of these things is not like the other. Yeah, and it just, it's either either the Dark Friends, the Ravens, the Forsaken, everyone who is aligned with the Dark One, they are either not operating on the same information that Moraine has because she's got a little bit more because she was in the room when Guitara had the foretelling. So I think everything else has come to the dark friends from secondhand knowledge. Yeah. So they don't have an equal playing field, I guess. But man, I mean... This is just what's crazy to me is when Moraine shows up, she has to know immediately. She, yeah. You know, she knows. Yeah. I, th- that, I think that she knows. And as she's asking the questions about like birth dates, it narrows everything down for her. And I mean, I don't think that that's like a subtle point in the plot, but like 
her asking about ages for people. And I mean, I think it makes so much more sense having read New Spring to know why Maureen is there. Mm -hmm. But when you're just reading it for the first time, this beautiful woman shows up with this crazy strong badass looking guy with a cloak that fades into stuff behind him like and if we and if we go back to the prophecies from the carathion cycle Mm -hmm. it's not explicit that oh like look for this aiel boy you know right so yeah he's different but she's operating on the age more than the look I guess, right? I would think so. Yeah. But I feel like looking at him would just, you know what I mean? Like, would just kind of give it away. Right, right. And even Morgays is like, why is an Aiel man standing here in front of me? And he's like, I'm not Aiel. Yeah. That happens to him over and over and over again. Like, you're a tall one, or how'd they let you on this side of the. The dragon wall or whatever it is, right. you know? And Moraine is so clever. I mean, I feel like she would just look at him and be like, okay. like it's you. Yeah. This yeah. is, yeah. It was during the Aiel War that she was looking for this boy. You know, there would have been Aiel scattered about the lands. And mm-hmm. to come across this boy that looks Aiel in this little farming community would be a major, what? Yeah. Neon, <laughs> neon sign. Yeah. <laughs> Look here, look here. Yeah. So we were talking about the appearance of ravens. During this moment, Perrin is introduced to Master Luhan. This is when he becomes apprenticed to him, which of course is important because Perrin becomes a blacksmith. Nynaeve is recently orphaned at this point, which I found really interesting. I didn't realize that. I didn't know like the timeline of the loss of her parents. I knew that she was mostly raised by her father, but I didn't realize that does it say what happened to her parents or just that they had died i think a green says something about how she had been recently orphaned but i don't remember if it said what the reason was yeah i feel like that speaks a lot to how how naive is kind of like this surrogate mother figure to all of these kids when they're in her eyes taken off like kidnapped that's a really good point yeah like she has this responsibility i'm sure that's like something that would tug at her heartstrings you Mm -hmm. know oh definitely without a question that is naive 100 percent. she's just not the. she's just not the greatest at conveying (laughs) her communication emotions it just comes off as anger so true feistiness so true so even as an apprentice, people think she's too young. And my response to that is, Nynaeve is always too young. Poor, poor Nynaeve. She's she always just, too young. She just wants that gray hair so everyone will leave her so alone. So badly. <laughs> and that's, how long is that going to take? A century? I mean, she's already started the slowing process, so she's not <laughs> yes. aging quickly anytime soon. Yes. Like, it's just, I just think that that's almost comical, even though I'm sure it's, Mm-hmm. frustrating the connection to land of them both being orphans just in different ways stuck out to me and this moment Nynaeve is rapping she's the apprentice the old wisdom is still alive Nynaeve is wrapping this bandage up and the wisdom is like crouched over her watching her every move and Aguin mm-hmm. is observing this and she's like why is 
why is the wisdom watching her so closely? Like she usually is always praising how fast Nynaeve is at doing everything and how good she is at it. But then when Nynaeve finishes, the wisdom looks at her and then looks at the bandage and then undoes the bandage and even lifts up the bread poultice. New spring, mm-hmm. thank the you. The bread poultice. Right? <laughs> Can't forget about that. Um, lifts it up and looks at the, the wound and Aguine thinks that maybe she looks disappointed, but she doesn't understand why the wisdom would look disappointed with what Nynaeve has done. And it's because the wisdom knows Nynaeve can channel, even though she hasn't told Nynaeve and Nynaeve doesn't know it, and she's keeping an eye out for it. And I was like, Ooh. Oh, yeah, because I mean, it doesn't it doesn't explain that. But all of those little hints, I'm just like, mm-hmm. have some foreshadowing. Everyone here's yeah. a little extra for you. Like it was just the whole way through. And then Nynaeve sensing a green standing behind her. Like this is that also indicates a has touched the one power for the first time. And. She has lived through it, and now Nynaeve and Aguine have the connection that they speak of later on in the books, and Moraine explains Mm -hmm. why as well. You had mentioned the gendering of pets and animals, Mm -hmm. and one of the things that was also like, blinker, blinker, was (laughs) her walking by dogs. Like she, It happens a couple times where she's like, I don't like that dog, but like... (laughs) <laughs> the she dog says she reacts to her. <laughs> yeah, she says she did not like dogs very much, and they did not seem to care for her either. And I'm like, it's because, because dogs don't like channelers or female channelers, <laughs> right? And I was just like, oh, hey, Rand. So when she goes over and she spies on the boys to see what they're doing, Rand is like, I'm going to be a king, and I laugh. More foreshadowing, right? And he like, Aguine is like. Yeah, but he was kind of awkward afterwards, like making it seem like a joke or whatever. But mm-hmm. it was just really funny because because this is a spoiler section. I don't have to tell you why it's funny that Rand would say that he's going to be the king. It just is. Matt says that he's going to rescue an Aes Sedai and she will reward him. And his remark. Wow. Right. Wow. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> But this is also strange because later on in the, I don't remember what chapter it is, Matt's talking about Aes Sedai again. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's a lot going on. (laughs) So much. And I think this is the most Matt way to introduce Matt ever. In the book, it says, I don't go around looking for work when there's more than work enough without looking. And I was like, yep, that, mm -hmm, yep, that's... But the th- I feel you, Matt. I feel you. <laughs> me too. But the thing that really stuck out to me in that one is Matt saying he would rescue an Aes Sedai. Like, it's not that he's going to do something malevolent. He's going to rescue someone. Mm-hmm. And like for Matt being the mischief maker, the trickster, it's sometimes easy to forget that he's always putting his neck on the line because of his ridiculous levels of loyalty and 
sense of duty, which he keeps trying to pretend doesn't exist. Well, that speaks to him also not wanting to look for more work than already needs to be there because he knows his morals. So if he comes across something that has to yep. be done because it's morally right, he has He'll to do, do it. it. So he's yeah. like, if I just keep my eyes down yes. and I don't see it, I won't have to act. That's that's <laughs> like, why he hides. Yeah, that's why he hides next to the wagon in chapter one instead of walking up to Rand because he's like, they're going to make us work. Let's get out of here. Yeah. But then when Tam is like, oh, Matt, you're here to help Rand. He's like, oh, well, I was supposed to. And Tam's like, no, you aren't. He very easily could have chosen to be disrespectful, but he wasn't. Mm -hmm. It's just it's there are so many levels to Matt. And I really like him when Tam offers to be the storyteller instead of Bran. Someone mentioned something about the Aiel War, and Egwene observes. For a moment, Egwene thought Master Althor's face changed. For an instant, he seemed harder, hard enough to make the merchant's guards look soft. And I was just like... God, I want that Tam New Spring... Right? Prequel? Prequel book. That would have been so cool. It would have been so cool. And I, I just really, I, I loved that little observation for what it is and who Tam mm-hmm. is. And I had to share that with you because I know, like, you haven't read that chapter. And mm-hmm. we have to remedy that at some point. But it really was just, like, so much foreshadowing. So much foreshadowing. But also, lot, like, these little, yeah, like, these little fill-in of holes, like, Perrin with his family when you know what happens to his family mm-hmm. and him like picking up his sister and swinging her around and you know like just these tender moments <laughs> yeah it was really it was really sweet so yeah those are those were just some of the things from Ravens and I think now we can move on to the prologue okay so I kind of mentioned it earlier but there's something about the prologue that I just, it, it doesn't grab my attention. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's because I have like a really short attention span. That's but me too. as I reread it, I was able to kind of figure out what I didn't like about it. Mm-hmm. And I think it just comes down to the fact of Luz Theron Telemond being unlikable. Um, and this, and this is only because of the information that I am given without any knowledge of why. Mm -hmm. So Robert Jordan tells us, okay, this man is a killer. He's deep inside like these, this like thrall of madness. Mm -hmm. And we're not given any information about his previous self. Uh So I have to give this information like at face value. Okay. (laughs) Secondly. (laughs) I just want to say that's a really good point. Yeah. It's, and I mean, I'm not trying to be like, oh, I don't like him because he's mad. Mm -mm. It's because I didn't know that that there was a history behind this. I didn't know mm-hmm. why this happened. I was given nothing from Luce Theron's point of view because he doesn't remember. Mm-hmm. So And he's not kind of, seeing it. Right, right. And then secondly, oh my gosh. So on my second read, I cannot get the <laughs> images of Winter Dragon out of my head. And I know you've never seen it. But Actually, I did watch it. Oh, I did you did? Watch it. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. so goofy. Like, it's it, so yep, goofy. Mm-hmm. 
And so now when I'm reading Luz Theron Telemond, I can only picture these characters <laughs> from Winter's yep. Dragon, and I'm just like, I just can't deal with this. <laughs> so thank you, Winter's Dragon. You have ruined things for me. Um, <laughs> you didn't like Billy Zane? You weren't feeling him? <laughs> just, it's just so silly. Yeah. So uh, I think when Luz Theron is confronted by a Shamael, I almost lean more towards having sympathy from a Shamael because he's like, look what you did. Like, you yeah. killed everyone. Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, well, who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? And maybe that's kind of where my mm. my understanding and feelings towards the prologue came from, where I wasn't able to really gauge you know, who who do I trust here and yeah. why is it important and what's the backstory? Mm. So when when we're looking too at Luz Theron, this is something that I was thinking about the other night mm-hmm. and it was right right after I had read it, I started typing out notes immediately because it was fresh and I wanted to like get into it. And I'm thinking of all of the things that I know now of Luz Theron, how when he's in Rand's mind and he keeps humming when he sees a pretty woman. Pretty woman. And, and I'm just like, that is creepy. Like, I, it makes me feel, like, icky, Cringy. you know? Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 And going on the thoughts of taking everything at face value, is it possible that maybe – we are as readers kind of trapped in the idea that Luce Theron is the good guy, the forsaken are all the bad guys because we only get the side from the winners because the forsaken are all locked away in the, yeah. you know, in the boar. Uh-huh. So they weren't able to say like what happened with Luce This Luce is Theron. my side of the story. Yeah. And Luz Theron has done a lot of stuff that is like, it's questionable uh-huh. because what's the name of the female Aes Sedai? La- 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 Latra, I think. Um, the one that opposed Luz Theron's oh, yeah. big um, attack at Shale Ghoul mm-hmm. and where she talked all the other Aes Sedai out of joining him. So then it's just Luz Theron with his companions, his 100 mm-hmm. companions. And I'm kind of just left wondering, like, why was he so opposed? Why do all of these Forsaken rather side with the Dark One because they hate this man so much? And even the Aes Sedai were like, nope. So I don't know That's if he just... a good yeah, point. I don't know if he just had this... Maybe he was just kind of... <laughs> Just kind, not a terrible person, but just kind of annoying person. Well, and <laughs> like, incredibly full of himself. Right. And like, he's the strongest. So yeah. that would make sense. Yeah. And anyone that kind of seems to oppose him is either like, oh, well, you oppose me because you would rather be on the side of the dark one. You're mm-hmm. evil. <laughs> and that's what we're t- led to believe is that all of these forsaken would rather join the dark one and it's 
like questionable is, is it because they were actually all bad guys? Mm. Some of them were power hungry too and wanted something out of it. And some of them were just like, yeah, I really didn't like Luce there. <laughs> it's true. That's true. And then um, that made me question a lot of things about Lanfear as well. Because, I mean, is it possible that maybe Luce Theron kind of led her on? She's the most beautiful woman that anyone has ever seen. Right? Maybe he, like, ghosted her and then perpetuated some type of crazy <laughs> ex-girlfriend stereotype, you know? I love that and idea, too. I was on Twitter the other day, and I, I swear to you, um, <laughs> I, I read this, I woke up, opened Twitter, looked at it, and I just started laughing because T-Brain <laughs> on Twitter wrote, I've long had a theory that Luz was a jerk. I think he gaslit and manipulated Lanfear till she went crazy because who acts like that about an ex <laughs> thousands of years later? Not to mention everyone who turned to the shadow because they hate him. On top of that, the female Aes Sedai, and she goes on to talk about the female Aes Sedai at the time, and I, I messaged her and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm not the only one. So we kind of... <laughs> chatted about that for a second so I think it's entirely possible yeah and I think we even like talked about that when we did our our section on the forsaken of like what the fuck is wrong with Leon fear that she's still holding this grudge against a guy who like because we're like you're better than that get over him (laughs) yeah yeah have you not seen yourself you sound amazing like she was the strongest every time like people talk like after Rand encounters Celine, he's mm-hmm. like, Elaine just seems mildly pretty in comparison. So, like, we're always, like, reinforces this idea of, like, she, her just being this, like, gorgeous Stunning. human being. Yeah. yeah. So, and what she wasn't a good point. And she wasn't necessarily evil. I mean, she was just trying, she was just curious, like, okay, like, what is this, you know... She power. was power hungry. She was, yeah, but it was also Which from I mean, a point of curiosity as well, because when channeling, the channeler's abilities are broken down again into gender, she's like, yeah. well, you know what? Like, maybe I want to be stronger than these men, you know? Yeah. And I mean, why not? Like, and I mean, the thing is, is I, her, her attachment to Luz Theron was about power but it does seem as though she actually loved him as well and I mean I get that idea where you could become totally fixated on what could have been like she and it is right- left so vague that we yeah. can really question everything I feel like. oh my god my brain is racing that doesn't mean it makes any sense it just means it's moving really fast <laughs> yeah wow then, the the only like other real thing that I took away from this prologue is it was where did I write it down? I lost my place. Uh, Lord of the Mo- Morning. No. Um, no. Oh yeah, that's more about. Okay, this is also on the wiki that there is a connection. Like Luce Theron sounds like mm-hmm. Lucifer, mm-hmm. and when I was thinking about Lucifer. It's Lucifer Morningstar, and he's being called Lord of the Morning. Right. And I'm like, lose Lord of the Morning, Lucifer Morningstar. Okay, that's weird. So just Mm. another thing to reinforce, like, hmm, 
maybe he wasn't a good guy. <laughs> good point. Good point. But all of that aside, something that did kind of <laughs> interest me is... I'm hmm. so sorry. I just read over your note. He is always screaming at Rand to kill people. Right. Yeah. Loose Theron. <laughs> Why are you always screaming to kill everyone? Does that sound like a good guy quality to you? It's not even like a... <laughs> So how do you feel about so-and-so? It's kill them, kill them now, yeah. like insistent exclamation points in italics, like kill them. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. I just figured it was his madness. I mean, in some ways sure it might be. I'm sure some of be, it, but it is, but. Maybe he was just a dick. <laughs> <laughs> but I really liked here how when Ishamayel talks to Luce there and he says something to the lines of well this healing isn't going to be like something you're used to mm -hmm. and when he heals Luce Theron the pain is described as like searing heat kind of like burning mm -hmm. in comparison to how when we see an eye I said I heal in the third age it's something like being plunged into ice water. Mm -hmm. And so I was just wondering, does that mean that healing from the true power is hot or that it hurts? <laughs> <laughs> because he says it's different. So I'm just like, is it, or is it just both? <laughs> it could. I, at first I was just thinking it's because he's using, what is it? The true power from, the dark one, but maybe it's both. I mean, he does say he's not very good at it, so maybe this just <laughs> is it. This is him, like, like I, I really would, I would believe if he wanted to make it painful, just you know, he because could. he's he's healing him just to hurt him, anyways, just so he can see what he's done. It's true, and so there's that, but. Does that mean that all healing from the true power is painful or just that it's hot instead of cold? I have no idea. Yeah. But it's a good question. Random. If anyone knows, anyone have any ideas? Yeah, I'd love to hear more speculation on this because I, I, there don't really seem to be that many benefits to the true power, you know? If it's, it if seems it, like it, it seems like it makes people stronger. You know? Yeah, but it like the I mean, all of the Forsaken slash Chosen talk about how like touching it too often or for too long can be damaging to them. And like Moradin developed those saw things that like roll across his vision, those black dots. That sounds pretty not great. Like I just <laughs> no. Yeah. And like I mean, when you stand up too fast and you see those little floating <laughs> That happens to me at least once a day. I hate that. <laughs> me too. Yeah, that is something to be pondered. Some of the things that kind of jumped out to me for the prologue was the movement of stone and how that gets used later on because it mentions how like people had sunken into the stone of the palace and it happened because the stone had flowed like a river throughout the palace. And then that happens in, is it Towers where the, of... Yeah, where the physics just start to stop making sense. Yeah, and it it happens with Leanne and Egwene 
after they've been captured and Leanne's in the prison cell and like her prison, like the floor starts to go mm-hmm. soft and she's, she's trying to hold on to the bars and the bars are melting away mm-hmm. and somehow she gets pulled out of it and she's okay. But like when it stops, like she's flaking like stone flecks off of her dress because now it's hardened again. So she could have been trapped there. Mm-hmm. And the idea of something like that is terrifying. But then it gets used again with the man in the wagon. And I don't remember which book this is in but like Matt's traveling with the band and I think he might still be with Val and Luca's show but as they're like traveling or they pulled off to the side of the road for some reason like a wagon comes behind them man I I see this is the stuff I love though because it is just creepy enough it's so dark yeah like Matt knows he can't do anything in that moment like that man is going to die and it's Matt and this is going to really bother him and it does all of of the bubble of evil type scenarios are just crazy and I I think that's one of the things I'm really excited to see how the show approaches if they do approach it I want to see how they do Rand in his bedchamber in tear with all yeah. of the reflections of Rand everywhere and the tiny. Ooh. I want to see the tiny one that like, sh- like does a little dagger in the back of his hand and it's a little tiny pinprick. Like, I want to see that little tiny Rand's running around. OK, sorry. I wonder I wonder if they will even try to approach that, though. I mean, it just. Stuff like stone melting and stuff like that, I mean, okay. But when, you, when you're trying to make a miniature person <laughs> stab you, it's like, that almost might be kind of funny. Like, hey, look at me, poke, poke. <laughs> I'm down here. I can't even do a high-pitched I'm, voice right yeah, now. <laughs> you big bully. Okay, I just sound like an old woman. I'm going to stop. <laughs> You kind of sounded uh, like Flava Flav, to be honest. I will take that as a yeah, compliment. Boy. Thank you. <laughs> Ooh, it's going to be that kind of day. Ugh. So I, I, I thought that that was interesting that it's something that's like terrifying enough to bring back again later on because it is like really dark and kind of haunting and like sits with you. Yeah, definitely. One of the things that I caught that I hadn't ever caught before is when Luz Theron asks Ishamayel if he has the voice, which made me think of the Tuatha'an always searching for the song, but also like Rand's flashback sequence where he's like going through the lives of the Aiel and he sees like in the Age of Legends men singing and the Nim joining them and possibly Ogier. Is that right? Like, I feel like they would all, like, hang out together in this big group and sing to the fields. See, I just I just thought that meant, like, oh, do you have, are you hearing voices, too? <laughs> <laughs> the insanity in me recognizes the insanity in you. <laughs> Hello. Hi. I love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, that actually, like, I never, I've never thought about that before. But like, it's one of those things that 
I don't know. That almost feels like a potential dropped plot line where like we never find mm. the song for the Tuathon and where did it even start? And was it always the song or maybe it was the voice? Like just thoughts. Um, <laughs> I feel like <laughs> now I'm thinking of that TV show, The Voice, where it's like a song <laughs> challenge and I'm just <laughs> picturing Tuathon up on stage. <laughs> I, I'm seeing a loyal, like, standing up with, like, a sapling. Like he's... No, it's, like, open mic night for loyal. He's just speaking, like, some spoken word poetry. It's Snapping really his long. Fingers. He looks up from above the page, and there's no one left. Or they're all, like, They had all gone home. over. Like... I would stay and watch Loyal, I promise. I I might bring I might bring my own book to read, but I'll I'll at least glance up every once in a while and Mm -hmm. encourage you. One of the things like and this actually kind of ties back to what you were talking about is like what is the character of Luce Theron and is it what we're kind of maybe led to believe that he's like a champion for the light. I mean that's what Mm Tam refers to him as but for all of this like he can't handle his grief he can't handle what he has done Mm -hmm. and he like you said he basically goes off and goes nuclear and kills himself creates dragon mount in the process and actually the island that will become tarvalon um it feels entirely appropriate for Rand to come and face his personal crazy in the place where Luce Theron gave in to his. Yeah, I feel like he, as soon as he was there, it all clicked. And then yep. he, and then the two became one, Yeah, you know? Like he was already seeing things, so much of things through Luce Theron's eyes and words. And then once he got there, it was like, okay, and now merged mm-hmm. yeah and i i get it i'm insane that's i acknowledge that and now we shall move forward and things will not be quite as crazy moving forward moving forward chapter one chapter one bella bella is back no i i don't think people will understand how much they're going to love bella when she's first mentioned in <laughs> chapter one because she's just the horse you know she knows the route better than they do Really, that was all I wanted mm-hmm. to say about that. Otherwise, unless you want to like jump in with some Bella love, <laughs> <laughs> I love Bella. There, I said perfect, it. Perfect, <laughs> perfect. Don't, don't, don't feel bad about it, Amber. We all do. <laughs> There's so many pretty ponies in this series. We've got lots of horses. They're nice. I did. I don't I know. I still if like I... Arrow a lot, though. Which one is Arrow? That was Moraine's horse in New Spring oh, that everyone tried right. to steal. <laughs> <laughs> she even had like the the horse alarm for her horse. Yeah. Right? For yeah. some reason, I like pressing my button like I would for my car, but that's how <laughs> it felt. <laughs> nay, nay. <laughs> I'm cutting myself off now. I have to move forward. <laughs> I have so many questions around this. The questions that I have are how and why is Nynaeve chosen for wisdom when she is so young? And I Clearly think we... because she's awesome. 
that's the best answer. That's the best answer. And, and I, too, I think I'm it's sure, true. Like how you pointed out, the current wisdom probably noticed her channeling capabilities mm-hmm. and was like, okay, she will be able to heal people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like she made the most sense to the person who would know what to look for. And it's so it's so bizarre how channeling is so prevalent in the two rivers and yet everybody seems to kind of deny the fact that it even exists. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like it's I don't know. It to me that's just kind of it's just interesting. And too how it's funny and it's cute, but it's also you want to shake them because these kids in the two rivers are so far removed from everything that even though we get story time with Tam and we know a little bit about these legends and mm-hmm. Aes Sedai and Luz Theron, <laughs> something that stood out to me is Matt saw the writer too and they're all like guessing like what it might be and they're mm-hmm. like, is it the dark one? Is it a dr- is it the dragon? Is it Agonor? And it's like <laughs> these kids, man. Well, they just no, they're all all mixed up. They're all mixed up. They are, but at the same time, like, what would the Shepherd of the Night be doing in the Two Rivers, watching farm boys? What indeed, Matt? And then right. the other one was. <laughs> My mother always said the Forsaken would come for me if I didn't mend my ways. But the Forsaken are coming for you, Matt. They are on their way. Like, Right. They've got an idea, but they still aren't quite sure about it. Because at one point they're saying how Aes Sedai are evil and they caused the breaking. Mm -hmm. And like we know from the Ravens chapter that Tam just explained how it happened so Mm -hmm. why the heck are you still talking all this crazy stuff kids like come on someone needs to give these kids a history lesson they should listen to our podcast (laughs) (laughs) they'd probably be even more confused Uh, I love it. Mm. I think the only thing that I want to point out is that in chapter one, we may have one of the few moments where Sen Bui is actually right when he says, there's worse to come. You mark my words. Like, he's right. He's right. I read on. Yeah, I read on until chapter three and he has another moment like that. Does he? Why is Zen Bui the only one making sense right now? He's right? not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to like you have to realize that there is something seriously not right going on and people should be afraid because yep. how unsettling would it be to the point where your spring crops should already be growing and it is still winter and Yep dark and bleak and freezing Mm -hmm. like that is some type of I'm saying this as someone who gets like maybe a couple months of sunlight every year um (laughs) (laughs) like it's unsettling and it's awful you you want to you want to celebrate you know when spring comes mm-hmm. and if that didn't happen and you're waiting months and months and spring never comes you'd be feeling really weird yeah yeah perpetual winter does not sound great i think that's all i have for chapter one did you have anything on that one 
Mostly, I think everything that we covered and the fact that everyone is trying to gang up on Nynaeve, which I think is awful. And something that I thought was really funny is Ran kind of like internally to himself bragging about traveling to the foot of the mountains of mist (laughs) right after he's acknowledging to himself how scared he is for wanting to be close to his dad after he sees the writer. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like he was unknowingly giving himself a little pep talk because he sees the writer and he's like, ooh, scary. And he's like, well, I've been all the way to the feet, the foot of the mountains of mist. And if I can do that, I can do anything. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, you kids, man. They are. It is so it is so bizarre coming back from the end to the beginning. Like Mm -hmm. when I reread these in the past, one, I hadn't ever read all the way to the ending before. And two, I was generally really young when I was reading these. And so I wasn't I wasn't seeing and understanding everything that was in front of me Mm -hmm. either. So question. This is another thing, and I think I've asked it before, and I don't remember what the answer is, but the Murdral that Rand sees is riding a horse. Do we mm-hmm. get Murdral on horseback later on throughout the series, or is that not a thing? I really feel like I've only seen them like hand-to-hand combat, not like... I don't know. Riding off on a horse somewhere. I feel like the horse would freak out, right? Unless it was a I mean, it trollic would... horse. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't a normal horse be like bucking this Murdral off it off its back? Like, get off of me. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Cause like I'm trying to like I'm trying to think through like moments and, and battle moments and things, and it's just not it's not coming clear enough to know. Right. For sure. That's how that's how I'm thinking too, because I just But I mean, I would imagine that they would need to be in order to have like height on the trollocs. Well, they can command the trollocs without needing any they're yeah, like bonded it... to the trollocs. They kind of like command them and then once the merge all dies, the trollocs die anyways. That's true. I don't know. I don't know. People who are smarter than us, let us know. (laughs) Please. Before we spend the rest of our morning trying to decide if Murdral ride horses. (laughs) (laughs) Because if it's the only time, yeah, that might be a little bit of a drop plot line. But yeah, yeah. Also, just another random observation. Uh, it said that the Congers and Coplins are so intermarried that they don't even know where one family starts and the other ends. And I was just thinking like, oh, no. Oh, no. Some of those Congers and Coplins are probably going to start having some genetic diseases soon. Didn't we talk about that? Oh Yeah, yeah the we're... other not too long ago in Minetherin. Yeah. And then um, I did also think that it was interesting how all of the women in Emmonsfield are so thirsty to marry off their single friends to Tam. It's so and true. to the point where Rand even receives little gifts like, mm-hmm. oh, have, have you tried my pie? It's not nearly as good as my widowed sister can make. Yeah. And, yeah. And wink, like, wink. <laughs> yeah. Tam is the most eligible bachelor of Emmonsfield. <laughs> 
Love it. He's got that. He's an archery champion. Right. Farm. He's on the village council. Got a nice kid. Yeah. What's not to love? Nothing. So chapter two. Yeah. I love starting out how we get the story of Matt's <laughs> ghost hound and immediately having issues with Master Luhan. So funny. I also love <laughs> that Master Luhan is described as have as, as being roped with muscle. And I'm just like, okay. So how hot are all of these people in Evans Field, <laughs> honestly? They do I mean, all sound rather good yeah. looking. Nynaeve is beautiful. Egwene is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, Ran, super tall, wide shoulders. Like, all of these people are tens, mm-hmm. I feel like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except for maybe Zenbui and the Congers and Coplins. Yeah, there are, there are a few not-so-pretty people thrown in just to make the extra-pretty people feel <laughs> extra good about themselves. Balance, yeah. remember? <laughs> right, balance. Uh, Clearly. Clearly, that's what it's all about. Another thing that's really interesting is the village council. They're all kind of chilling and smoking a pipe, mm-hmm. and they won't say anything in front of Rand and Matt. And mm-hmm. he's like, they're being very quiet mm-hmm. and acting like they have nothing to do. But they have to know who Moraine and Lan are, right? Like, Lan's wearing his color changing cloak he is wearing like, his Tam's cloak, yeah. been around in the world mm-hmm. you know he would know right mm-hmm. so I feel like maybe the village council is really trying to pretend like business as usual everything's okay mm-hmm. and then there's also the fact that the Peddler hasn't shown up yet, but Mm -hmm. when he does, there will be even more things for the village council to talk about. Indeed. Yeah, despite Moraine and Lan, who I feel like these big outsiders should have the women's circle and the village council on their toes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then um, little Elwyn Fingar, Elwyn Fingar. He is probably the most observant person in the two rivers, and I think he deserves some recognition because as soon as he is standing there with Matt and Rand, he's like, so here's the deal. This woman, she's beautiful. She's a real lady. Uh, she's with this guy. He's got a color-changing cloak, and I'm pretty sure he's her servant, but not really a servant, but he works for her, and he refers to her. And I'm like, damn, kid, you know more about what's going on than pretty much like some of the grownups. So mm-hmm. shout out to this kid. No kidding. Um, I think I, I think his character, too, is just really cute because they're kind of like, get away from me, like mm-hmm. little boy, even though he's, I think, 14 or something. Yeah, he's just slightly younger than they are, but... That gap but, can feel really big. Right. They're treating him kind of like as a little nuisance. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was kind of cute. It is. It's a really good observation because I hadn't really thought about it. Mm-hmm. And then I said that I would talk about this because he talks exactly about what color Moraine's clothes are like. And then we get to see her when she shows up and she's wearing a light 
blue dress, like blue like the sky, he Mm -hmm. says. And I was just thinking back to New Spring when she's thinking like, ugh, a light colored blue (laughs) for traveling in. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, Moraine, like what seamstress did you piss off? (laughs) <laughs> where you have to wear this light blue dress <laughs> because we know that that is not good. Right? Was It, it was light colors were the ones that weren't. I think weren't so, yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah, right? she was like, like she knew her first batch of dresses that she would pick up from the seamstress would all be the light blue ones. Right. She knew it because she knew that she'd made the seamstress mad. Yeah. And then I also found it interesting that Moraine is actually going by her real name. I thought the same thing. Okay, good. <laughs> I was like, and she's no wearing Mistress her ring. Alice. Yeah, no Mistress Alice and wearing the ring. Mm-hmm. I thought I was like, oh, uh, hmm. it was yeah. Because I mean, most of the time she travels kind of in secret, but maybe she just felt that she was. In a place so remote from anywhere that might know who she is, possibly. I don't know. Like, I honestly don't know what she was expecting when she came into the right. two rivers. So, me either. And I think it's also interesting that her and Nynaeve kind of have this little face off where she calls her child. But I'm almost wondering if Nynaeve had noticed something more to her. You know, like maybe mm. she, maybe since she can channel, she felt something different about this woman. So it mm-hmm. just has her on guard, mm-hmm. you know? I think, I think that is possible. Cause I don't remember. I, I mean, she would have been able to channel for quite some time at that point. So she would be at that point with her skills where she should be able to recognize, even if she wouldn't consciously know it another woman who could channel yeah maybe she's just like yeah there's something going on with her yeah she can feel it maybe mm-hmm. and again um you had put this and i put this in my notes too about compulsion light because <laughs> <laughs> we've brought it up before where rand has kind of said Upon meeting Moraine, he's like, in this moment, you know, he would do some. If she asked, he would do something for her. Yeah. And he just wanted to be near her. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ooh, Moraine. Mm-hmm. What are <laughs> but, you doing? <laughs> right. But I also think that this could possibly be the first instance of Rand channeling because he's able to break from that awkward not knowing what to say to her to immediately Mm. and feeling like he would do anything for her to feeling 100% sure of himself to be like, and what are you doing here in the two rivers? And I feel like, did he just kind of like push her weave away Mm -hmm. somehow and just Mm. like sidestep it? Like that would be crazy, right? Maybe, yeah. I mean, it also could be, possibly to Viren. Right. And I mean there is like the the fact that the two rivers folk are like super stubborn and so if it's just like a mild form of compulsion like Yeah, he's kind of like in this little like daydream like oh look at this coin and oh like I'll do what she says and Yeah. I just feel I feel like a 
big giant buffoon next to this petite little woman and he can barely talk to her yeah. and string together a sentence to having the fortitude to being like, what are you doing here? Hmm. Hmm. Curious. <laughs> I love the curious moments. I think, an- I think the only thing I was going to add was just, and I think we've kind of touched on this a little bit, is just how perfect of a place this is to hide Rand. Um, Mm -hmm. like for as long as he could be hidden and to become the person he needed to be at the end of the series. It's mentioned that outsiders don't really like coming to the two rivers and when they do, they don't stay. And I mean, it's remote to the point that like Tam doesn't even live in the village. He lives in in a farm outside of the village limits in the Westwood or whatever it's called. And so like, there could not possibly be a better spot for Rand. He's almost like in this little pocket it's, of isolation. Yeah, you're you're 100% right. And it's it's so hidden that many of the people that live there don't even know the real history of it. Like mm-hmm. these people who live there don't even know that it's Manetherin. Yeah. Like they they literally don't know. I think Moraine says something. What mm-hmm. was it? She's saying like she was collecting stories and stuff about history or whatever. And Matt is like, what what could ever be important about this place? Yeah. 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 And he's like, well, maybe she's wanting to check out the inn. You know, the inn is nearly a thousand years old. I'm like, is that just like hyperbole or is it really (laughs) Or is it really a thousand years old? Right. Right, and it's just kind of like, okay, well, it it is really a secluded kind of secret spot if the people who have lived there for generations don't even know what it, what's the meaning, what's the yeah. history to it. Yeah, yeah. And they're just cute. Like, Matt's adorable. He's like, the two rivers has always been the two rivers. Mm-hmm. And it's like, aw. <laughs> Aren't you and- cute? Right. And then we've got Elwyn, who is like, well, I think Lan is her warder. And Matt's mm-hmm. like, bullshit. Like, <laughs> and it's like, come on, this little kid knows more about the world than anyone. What is going on right now? Yeah. Because like Matt's like, Does, is he covered in jewels? Warders are always covered in jewels, you fool. Like, uh, Matt? Yeah. <laughs> You're going to feel real silly later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think, oh, the only thing that I, I wanted to, like, add to this is, in this series in particular, anyone who says it's going to be the best fill-in-the-blank ever. I was going <laughs> to say that. Strangers, fireworks, a peddler, a gleeman, it was going to be the best Beltine ever. That was a lie. <laughs> nope. 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 And so, so that's... We've, we've got a lot of stuff happening, and I'm even more excited for next week because... Yay! Yeah, it's going to be good. It's, it's going to be good. We did good today. We covered a lot of stuff. I'm feeling hype about it. Me too. I'm excited because now I can go outside and... Like I haven't, I haven't moved forward with reading mostly because I've been reading so much for work and whatnot, and I've been trying to like continue reading in the expanse. But now I'm gonna go sit outside and 
start reading chapter three. Anyway, so next week we're talking uh, chapters three, four, five, and six. Is that right? I think so, yeah. Cool. Thanks so much for joining us. We will continue to release new episodes every Wednesday. We would love if you would subscribe to the podcast, leave us reviews, and share us with your friends. Let us know what you thought of our content. Correct us. Send us things we may have missed. You can find links to our email and social media accounts in the show notes. And if you have the Anchor app, leave a voice message for us to play in upcoming episodes. We also have a Discord channel. Just find us on any of our social media platforms and we can send you an invite. So until next week, thanks for joining us on the road to Tarvalon.